Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a three-week teaching series called Every Generation. As we pursue life together as an intergenerational family, we want to explore what the Bible has to say to each generation in our church. Our prayer is that together we'll learn that all of us need each of us. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. My name's Brian. It's good to gather with you today. We are in the last week of a series that we're calling Every Generation. And as we pursue life together as an intergenerational family, we want to explore what the Bible has to say to each generation in our church. And so the first week, we talked about builders and boomers, those born before 1965. Show of hands if you're willing. Yeah, Fantastic. Before 1965, and we learned we need your wisdom. We, we need you. We need your time, your talents, and your resources to make disciples. God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. You can trust that he is with you, and we need you. We need you. Last week, Steve talked about Gen X, those born between 1965, 1980. Show of hands, Gen X. Yeah, best generation, Gen X, great. And he shared how we need to be part of the body of Christ. Gen X is at risk of isolation and individualism, but we cannot fulfill our purpose as a church without Gen Xers. And Gen X, God is inviting him in his mission. He's inviting you. And today, we conclude this series by talking to about and to millennials and Gen Z. Millennials and Gen Z under 40 years old in the room. Anybody show your hands? Yeah. Good representation. Millennials and Gen Z. And I want to remind us all, right, we're, we're not doing this series just because it's fun or for a history lesson. We believe that churches are healthiest when they include all generations, And we're living intergenerationally, one generation rubbing shoulders and learning from other generations. We believe that if we can get to know each other better, we'll be able to love each other better. So each week, we've shared this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Would you read this with me in the first gray box in your notes or on the screen if you're joining us online? It says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Man, I just want to say I love hearing us read God's word together. There is something about reading God's word out loud. If you're following in your notes, the church is a family, and all of us need each of us. The church is a family, and all of us need each of us. If you turn your notes over, I want to provide you with a few characteristics of millennials and Gen Z. These are identifiable trends, but there are certainly outliers and there's crossover if you were born at any of the the delineated years, and you may not identify with all these. And we could even argue over the importance of these, but we can't deny they exist. And so we want to share some characteristics of millennials and Gen Z, builders, boomers, and Gen X in the room. I think it's critical that we seek to understand better our younger generations. So millennials, 
Millennials were born between 1981 and 2001, which means they'll be turning anywhere between 20 and 40 years old this year. Millennials are on average much older than we think. We confuse them with Gen Z all the time, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Millennials were named because of their upbringing around the turn of the millennium. Their parents are mostly baby boomers or young Gen Xers, and what research shows is that baby boomers often raise their kids with the mindset that we want it to be easier for our children than it was for us. And that's led to many of these stereotypes of millennials, like the fact that they are apathetic or they're lazy or they're sensitive, which is not true across the board. Millennials are now the largest generation, 80 million young people in our country in this generation, and they are now the largest generation in the workforce. Terrorism was a defining issue for this generation growing up, whether it was Oklahoma City in 1995 or the Columbine school shooting in 1999 or the definitive time of their growing up years, 9-11. They have lived under this cloud of terrorism. Another distinction of millennials, and you're going to hear this this morning, they were around for the rise of the internet. You're going to hear technology start to play a very important role in our young people's lives. And lots of people talk about millennials as if they were there for the beginning of social media, but that's not true. They were there for the beginning of email. So they they came alongside of the internet as they grew up. But they were early adopters of social media, and the platform they gravitate toward most is Facebook, with Instagram coming in a close second. And this is just an interesting thing to think about when you think about millennials. They, they share what's going on in their lives. They use social media to keep up with their friends. They have a fear of missing out. There's a FOMO that they live with, and they tend to follow their friends' social media posts more than other generations. Three-fourths have admitted in a study to being influenced or having purchased products based on the people they follow. Technology is an influencer. Millennials are independent people. They are independent thinking, but they are friendship and relationship-driven. So it's no coincidence that popular television shows, and again, technology and television is part of that, is starting to have an influence. So this generation grew up with shows like Drake and Josh, for you younger uh, millennials. Or, or what about Dawson's Creek, right? Yeah, Gilmore Girls, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Friends, Grey's Anatomy, The Office, Friday Night Lights, Big Bang Theory, all of these independent thinking people. Think about those shows. Independent people, but relationship-driven. Relationship-driven. It's important to millennials. They have a strong passion for learning. They're better educated than previous generations with 40% obtaining college degrees. But listen, even though they have these college degrees, their path to success is less clear which is going to lead to the anxiety we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Words to describe this generation, confident, curious, questioning. And what we do, older generations, is we perceive that quite badly. 
We think they're questioning our authority, and maybe sometimes they are, but they're not doing that all the time. They want to engage in conversation. They want to engage in conversation because they're relationship-driven. So they ask a bunch of questions, and they're confident, and they're curious, and they are anxious. 12% of millennials have officially been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, dwarfing previous generations. And what they are concerned about is contributing to that anxiety. Their current concerns are student debt load, unemployment, difficult job market, housing costs, and mental health issues. Let me say this. I'm thankful millennials have brought mental health issues to the forefront because they've broken some of the guilt and shame and stigma that surround mental health issues, and they will ask for help, and they seek help because they need help. I'm grateful for that. So that's millennials. We moved to Gen Z then, who were born from 2002 to present. So the oldest members of Gen Z are 20 years old at max. Gen Z's parents are Generation X. And this is important to say because one of the main parenting goals of Gen X, you're going to see this pendulum swing throughout history, right? One of the main parenting goals of Gen X is they didn't want to make the mistakes of previous generations And that included more involvement in their kids' lives, right? Remember last week, Steve said latchkey kids was kind of a phrase for Gen X. Well, that has led to the pendulum swing where Gen Z is constantly supervised and they've not been allowed to roam neighborhoods like I did when I was a kid. I went outside to play and I came home when my dad whistled at night. Gen Z doesn't get to do that all that often. Parents of Gen Z are more likely to go to the school and argue on behalf of their student because all Gen Z is gifted. They all get participation trophies. They've all had ceremonies celebrating graduations from preschool and kindergarten. They're all amazing. Universities report incidents of parents calling to argue on behalf of their kids' grades, even in grad school. It, <laughs> we we want to put, let me just say this, we want to put labels on them, but we've created the labels. We've created them. And so one of the most defining characteristics of Gen Z We saw it begin with millennials. It's their digital natives. This could also be called the iGen because of their technology usage. Some of you Gen Zers in the room, you might know what this is. You might have owned a CD, but I almost guarantee you've never had a cassette tape. Never. You get your music on iTunes and Spotify and other streaming services. Unlike millennials, Gen Z has never known a world without social media. 44% of Gen Zs check their social media on an hourly basis, totaling about 50 hours a week. Social media is their source for news, entertainment, and communication. And whereas millennials prefer Facebook and Instagram, Gen Z frequents, number one is YouTube, videos all day, anytime, on demand. And then help me out, Gen Z. This is audience participation. Shout this out. What other platforms of social media do you use? What's this? Next one. Next one. Next one, 
Next one. WhatsApp, I heard it. WhatsApp. What's the next one? Twitch. There's my gamers. There's my gamers. What's the next one? What's the next one? Tumblr. And you do not use Facebook. Hey, boomers, builders, Gen X, you can now rejoin the message. <laughs> Just wanted to, I want to paint this picture. Many Gen Zers are addicted to technology. What we just live in this culture, they're addicted to technology. One survey said that almost 50% of this generation would give up their sense of smell rather than give up their technology. And this addiction to technology has had mental health implications. In the Atlantic uh, a Journal, uh, a lady wrote an article called Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? Her name was Jean Twenge. She notes that teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. And she says it's no exaggeration to describe Gen Z as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. This was written before COVID. And much of the deterioration can be traced to cell phones. Twenge says this, Gen Z has more leisure time than any other generation. And what do they do with that time? Here's how she answers it. They're on their phones, in their room, alone, and often distressed. The percentage of Gen Z dealing with depression dwarfs previous generations. Parents, we need to pay attention to this and ask God to help us. This is a crisis happening Gen Z also has a much higher emotional connection to social issues, particularly the environment, gun violence, politics, and justice issues, including racism. They are taking back what it means to Even if they're unable to vote yet, they feel very passionate about causes and they want to make an impact by providing their voice or their money to those causes. Words to describe Gen Z, digital natives, we already talked about, diverse. Most diverse generation in the history of the United States. Just 52% of Americans under 18 are white. That number was 75% with boomers. They are far more accepting of moral relativism and that there's no one truth. Whether God exists or we can trust his word, it's growing and growing. They are relational, just like millennials. Their currency is relationship. And here's what's interesting about this Gen Z. Because they're more relational, they seek out people to speak into their lives. They look for mentors. My generation, Gen X, rolls our eyes at the previous generation because we think we're better and smarter. Gen Z seeks out people to speak into their lives. They are open to that. Their current concerns, COVID-19, the economy, jobs, racism, climate change, government and political corruption, and mental health, particularly depression. I want to say one more thing about millennials and Gen Z. As much as some look down on them and think they are lazy and overly sensitive, that's just clickbait. It's just clickbait. I know a ton of millennials and Gen Z who do not fit that stereotype at all. Let me share just a couple examples from inside our church family that don't fit into that stereotype at all. And you can see more out on the gallery wall in the lobby. You saw some of them leading us in music today. We have Ryan Pate, 
Pate was on stage today. He also helps out on Sunday nights with youth worship. He says this, I serve on Sunday nights because the gifts God gave me aren't really gifts until I give them out to grow his kingdom. Or this is Kiara Boyce. Kira works at Refuge Ranch, and she says, I work at Refuge Ranch because God has uniquely equipped me for this job. Working with kids and with horses, it is such a joy to be able to use my gifts and passions to further the kingdom. Those are millennials. Gen Z, here's Evan House, one of my friends. He loves technology, surprise, and he's using it for good. He helps in elementary and middle school ministry, and he says, I get to use technology while serving, and it is so fun to do that. I hope you can hear the impact these younger generations are having. And if they weren't part of our church family, we'd be missing out. We would be missing out. Millennials and Gen Z are a special group of young people with the power to make a huge impact on the world and the kingdom. And it would benefit us to remember, us older people, that many times God chose to do significant work through young people. People in the Bible under 40 who God used include Joseph, David, Solomon, Josiah, Jeremiah, Esther, Ruth, Mary, the disciples, and Jesus, who would have been in the millennial category if he was here in person today. This is an important generation that has an important role to play. So we're grateful for you, millennials and Gen Z. We see you and we are grateful for you. As we've done each week, I want to see what the Bible instructs for this generation. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy is towards the back of the Bible. If you don't know where it is, go to the table of contents. That's your best friend. It'll tell you exactly what page to go to. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. The book of 1 Timothy, as you're getting there, just to let you know what we're going to be looking at, it was written by the Apostle Paul to his young apprentice in ministry named Timothy. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey, and he became Paul's companion and missionary partner. And then on Paul's third journey, he left Timothy in a town called Ephesus to lead the young church there. Timothy was probably in his early 30s, millennial. And there is a particular part of this letter that speaks to Timothy's youth that I believe is significant for you millennials and Gen Zers to hear today. And young people, there are several reasons why I think this is important for you to hear. One, you have a heart for social issues. You want to advance the kingdom of God right here, right now, but that's got to be accompanied by personal holiness and faithful living. Two, I want to challenge you to get off of social media a bit and spend time with Jesus, learning from Jesus how to become more like Jesus. And the third reason is that the faith of millennials and Gen Zers continues to erode. I'm going to share a survey tomorrow in our weekly devotion, but what we're seeing is an increasing number of millennials and Gen Z not believing God even exists not believing that the Bible can be trusted or that it is the word of God or, or that they don't even consider themselves Christians. So what we're about to talk about is critical, 
critical. So millennials and Gen Z, lean in. We need you. We need you. We need you to hear what God's word says to you. Would you read the second gray box with me on your notes this morning? These are the words of Paul to millennial Timothy. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Paul says, don't let people look down on you because you're young. You may want to write this in. The the word for look down on means think less or dismiss. Don't let them think less of you and dismiss you just because you're young. And Paul provides a way to do that. And that's what I want to walk through this morning of how do we live such lives that we're not dismissed and we're not looked down on. And first he says, if you're following in your notes, be an example. Be an example. This is a fascinating word. In the original language, it is the word tupas, which means model, pattern, or mold. And and the word is used to describe the way clay or wax was pressed so that it might take the shape of an exact object of the mold. It's where we get our English word type that originally referred to an impress made by a die. And Paul tells Timothy to be a person who is shaped by Jesus and leaves an impression for Christ on others. And he gives five ways to do that. The first one, be an example in your speech. If you're following in a note, speech, be careful with words. The Bible actually has a lot to say about our mouths. Here are just a couple verses. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. James, the brother of Jesus in the book named after him in chapter one, verses 19 and 20 said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so what this means for you digital natives, be careful with your words in conversations and be careful what you post on social media. Social media asks you, right? What does it always ask? What's on your mind? It's not always the best course of action to actually post what's on your mind. It's not. Sometimes it's better to say nothing. Listen, you are teaching us how and when to speak up about important issues. We need to get better at that. But being careless with speech is never helpful. Show people what a self-controlled tongue looks like. The first way to set an example is in speech. Second example is the way you live. And the word literally means conduct or behavior. If you're following your notes, conduct or behavior. And it means daily behavior. What you do day in and day out. And when you put this together with speech, it includes words and deeds. Make sure your words and actions line up so you're not a hypocrite. Authenticity, I didn't say this, young people, but we know authenticity is a core value for you. You can sniff out fake, but it's always good to be reminded that how you live gives authority to your words. How you live gives authority to your words. As you set an example, let your, walk, let your talk match your walk. The third example that we are to set is in love. 
And, and I think the problem when we read this is we just don't know what love is, right? We, we're confused when, it, when we say the word love. For most, love is elusive. It comes and it goes. It means different things to different people. And it's usually a feeling. I love all sorts of things, right? I mean, I, I love my wife. I love pizza. I love puppies. I love my church, I love the St. Louis Cardinals, and I love the University of Illinois sports programs. The problem with our definition of love is that just doesn't reflect the love of Jesus. The, the word used for love here, if you're following in your notes, is agape. And it's an unconditional, self-sacrificing, proactive love. It involves loving someone no matter how they may respond, and it doesn't change whether or not love is given in return. It's a posture of proactively loving rather than reactively loving based on how we're treated by others. This type of love is the love that was displayed in the life of Jesus and his death on the cross. On the night of the Last Supper, the night Jesus would be betrayed and handed over to be killed, he gathered his disciples in an act of agape love. He washed their feet. And then he said these words in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Would you read this in the third gray box or on the screen with me? It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love us. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So can I pause here and just push on this for a few minutes? And this is for every generation in the room. Every generation in the room. I want to put a picture on the screen for you. There is an attitude in older generations that dismiss younger generations. And there's an attitude in the younger generation that demands things. I've spoken with young people who feel dismissed, not seen, not heard, not valued. And I have spoken with older people like teachers who cannot believe the demanding emails and texts they get from students and parents. Both of those are not so I want to put a different picture on the screen for you about how we might relate differently in love. Older generations, rather than dismissing young people, we've got to engage with them. We have to engage with them, engage in conversations that are important to them. And what that means is conversations about race and identity and sexuality and the environment. I get that these issues that are important to these generations are issues we were and maybe still are uncomfortable talking about. But it's just not an option not to talk about them anymore. We have to talk about these. And these conversations should not take place on social media, millennials and Gen Z. And they need to include listening well, asking questions, sharing experiences, and what you've learned and what God has taught you. But we have to have these conversations. And young people, millennial and Gen Z in the room, when you talk about these things, do it with love and respect rather than being demanding. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're demanding, you're not going to get what you want. 
Demanding something is not the way of Jesus. And most of the time when someone approached Jesus and they demanded something, they went away sad. It's not the way of Jesus. So church, if you're following in your notes, rather than dismiss and demand, we need to engage and love and respect. Here's what the world tells us. If you've been paying attention at all, this is what the world tells us. If we disagree on an issue, we have to hate each other. If we disagree on an issue, you're canceled. I don't believe that at all. To my core, I don't believe that. I believe followers of Jesus can disagree on issues and still love each other. I was just part of a conversation this last week with a couple people. We were talking about COVID and the church and mask wearing, and there were people on both sides of the issue, and we disagreed. We engaged with love and respect, and we still didn't come to an agreement. But I'll tell you what, the people that disagreed with me, I respect them more now than I did before the conversation. My, my respect for them went up. I love them, and it's because of the way we were able to engage and disagree, and we have to do this. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, we have to do this because the world will know that we are his disciples based on how we love one another. And if you've been paying attention to the capital T church, we haven't done a very good job at this. We've got to do this. This agape love, it's possible. It's possible, but it's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't try hard enough to love people unconditionally and proactively. I don't know if you've noticed, but some people are hard to love. Some, I'm hard to love. Fortunately, we don't have to do it on our own because in Romans chapter five, verse five, the apostle Paul tells us this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Ask God to help you love others. Ask God to help you love the person you disagree with. Ask God the person who just came into your mind. Because if you pray and ask him that, that's a prayer he will answer 100% of the time. He will answer that every time. We've got to love each other. The fourth example to set is in faith. And if you're following in your notes, it means holding on to your faith. Again, I'm going to share some more research with you tomorrow in our daily devotion, but 59% of millennials who were raised in the church have stopped attending church. It's probably too soon to have numbers for Gen Z, but I'm guessing they're going to be even higher than that. There are a few reasons for that. Leading the way is the influence of parents. In our culture, parents of this generation, they remember they were much more lenient with their kids, often letting kids make choices, such as not wanting to get up and come to church on Sundays or playing sports on a Sunday morning. And it created a habit that is trending of less attendance. Another reason goes along with this statistic. 35% of millennials believe the church does more harm than good. That's like a punch in the gut. 35% of the millennials believe the church does more harm than good. Remember the second example to set in conduct and behavior? The church has struggled with that. And I acknowledge that. Millennials and Gen Z, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for that. Young people, hold on to your faith. Listen, hear me say this, millennials and Gen Z, don't let an imperfect church ruin your faith in a perfect savior. Please, don't. The kingdom needs you. You have an important role to play. We need you to hold on to your faith and build your faith in practices like being in God's word, in prayer, in community with one another. Hold, 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 hold. And the fifth example to set is impurity. If you're following in your notes, it's sexual purity. One of the statistics you'll see tomorrow is that we live together before we're married. We have sex together before we're married. We ought to kick the tires and try things out before we really settle down. That's just what millennials and Gen Z believes now. And Paul was writing into a culture where it was not unusual for Roman citizens to have multiple sexual partners, homosexual encounters, engagement with temple prostitutes, and Christians stood out precisely because they didn't engage in these practices. One of the defining characteristics of the early church was their commitment to sexual purity. So millennials and Gen Z, you want to know how to live the sexual ethic of Jesus. And many churches just haven't spoken about this. And we need to. We need to keep reminding ourselves that sex is a good gift created by God and given to us to be expressed in the context of one woman and one man in a covenant marriage relationship. And anything you can think of that is outside of that simple, beautiful picture is outside of God's intentions for us, and it will eventually lead to chaos confusion, and pain. Set an example in purity, millennials and Gen Z. We need you. Younger generations, be an example to all the you live and the way you love in your faith and your purity. Millennials and Gen Z, you're not just the church of the future. You're the church of now. So like we've done the past two weeks, I want to invite you to give your time and your talents and your gifts to make disciples. We've put this up the past few weeks, but if you want to be part of a team that does that, if you're looking for community, then I want you to pull out your device right now. It's probably already in your hand and go ahead and text serve to that number. We need you. We need you to pass your faith on and we'll start a conversation about what that might look like as you pass your faith on to future generations. But living your faith out isn't just critical to future generations, millennials and Gen Z. It's critical for us older generations too. How you are living sharpens us. It grows our faith to see you grow your faith. I have such joy that this morning, our fifth, fourth and fifth graders are downstairs taking a year-end 192-question New Testament test. I want to know my Bible better because they know their Bible better. You inspire us, so we need you and your faith. Millennials and Gen Z, if you're following in your notes, we need you. We need you. As you put your notes away, as we've finished the last three weeks, millennials and Gen Z, I just want to share some encouragement for you from people in our church family. This is from... People in Generation X. Just take these words and let them wash over you, okay? This is to you, young people. 
Please know you have an important place in the church. Share your enthusiasm and curiosity about God with the older generations. We need the reminder to not lose our own enthusiasm and curiosity. You bring fresh vision and enthusiasm to the church and help shape what the church can be. You were born for such a time as this. God loves every single one of you, and he has amazing things in store for you now and in the future. You are valuable and important to the body of Christ. You bring passion and energy. You can ignite our faith. And one person said, you are not here in this world to just make a living. You are here to be the salt and light of this world. This world needs your light and your goodness. We need you and all of us need each of us. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.